0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Celebrating the Brand Ambassador, where we get down and dirty and reveal the secrets of some of the most outstanding career brand ambassadors, innovators, and brand owners in the cocktail industry. I'm your host, Elaine Duff, and if you like what you hear, please subscribe. Now let's get right into it and meet the personalities behind the brands you love.
1: So for those of you who are watching or, or are tuning in, this is Celebrated the Brand Ambassador episode number 15 I actually said that for last episode, and I realized I was wrong, because I skipped one that I was supposed to have, and it didn't end up happening, So, but this is episode 15, and I'm really excited about it, because I've known you, both of you, lovely women for a long time, but not well, but we've all known each other in the industry, I think we've admired each other from afar, which is great, so I would love to actually have you introduce yourselves, and, and what your current role is, and what your responsibilities are within that role, so Georgie, I will start with you, and then... Sarah,
2: I'll have you go next. Yeah, of course. So it's nice to see you again, and thank you for having me on. My name is Georgie. As you know, I'm the head of advocacy for all of the incubation brands at Bacardi. So within Bacardi, we've got all of these beautiful little craft brands, And I look after the way in which we tell the stories of the brands, the way in which we educate and really helping support all of our brand ambassadors out there around the world. But I was previously a brand ambassador, though, for eight years within Bacardi and some other companies.
1: Very cool. Very cool. And Zara?
2: I'm Zara Bates.
3: I have been with Cabasier for a little over six years. I was the national brand ambassador for the United States for Cavassier. And then last year I became the Global Education Manager and Training Specialist. So I do something very similar to what Georgie does, but I just do it for the House of Cavassier and work on education programming that is valuable for what the hospitality sector is looking for. And then also to make sure that our ambassadors are really able to be confident when they're going out there and being able to connecting with anybody, no matter what level they are or where they are in their journey of understanding
1: Cognac and obviously Cabasi itself. Now, I'm going to say, I'm going to be jealous of both you ladies, because that was like the job that I wanted to have. Like if I knew that actually was a job, I probably would have stayed within my company. Like I try to pitch many things at the end of my career when I realized I was just bored because I had done everything else. And I was like, that is perfect. I would have loved that job. (laughs) I think it would have been been great. So congratulations for creating some dream roles, because I know you're both very happy within your companies and and love what you do and and definitely deserve to be there with all your experiences and backgrounds. So Georgie, I do want to talk because you've had an interesting career. You got into the industry quite early on. You were in your early 20s and you've worked for three pretty big companies within that time. Unlike myself, I worked for one company for 15 years. So I think you're very brave the fact that you move companies and that's what I talk about because changing companies can be hard right because people get comfortable they're afraid to make that move and I know you had a vision like a kind of a career path for yourself which I think is really cool well I want you to talk a lot more about what you're doing Bacardi but talk about some of the roles you had like the two other roles you had and like why you left like what was your vision like you're like okay I'm done I moved to this company this is why I moved to this
2: company Of course. So um, I mean, I started out like most of us as a bartender, which I loved, but I just wasn't a great career bartender. I was good, but not that good. But I really fell in love with the whiskey sector behind the bar in the whiskey category. And so I decided to sort of pursue a career within that. And I think, well, I think you want to talk about that later, you know, carving your own career path and stuff. But... You know i i loved whiskey and i really wanted to delve deeper into it so i started working at the scotchmore whiskey society the independent bottler and membership club i fell in love with every single whiskey behind that back bar it was astonishing <laughs> to be able to have like 150 whiskies at your disposal, and being able to make a person's evening with a whiskey and constantly surprise them with the flavors that were there and so you know, with that in mind, while I was at the Mall Whiskey Society, I moved from being behind the bar to being their global brand ambassador. And it was so looking after the international markets as well, because it was a had franchises within different countries. And that was a huge learning curve for me. And it was a big step up. I was 24 at the time, which wow. looking back was quite young but I definitely took it on with you know gusto and passion and you know it really helped cement my love for the whiskey industry you know it wasn't an easy journey getting there though again I I took quite a few education programs to get to even that point let alone sort of you know where I am today and I know all three of us are so passionate about pursuing not only our and building our education but also the education of others around us so that they can do their job just as well as anyone.
0: Absolutely.
2: After the Scotchmore Whiskey Society, I was with them globally for about a year and a half. And then I moved over to Diageo, actually, to work on Motlac And I became their global Mortlack ambassador for just over three years. And it was really an interesting move because I was at, you know, the Scotchmore Whiskey Society, which was then owned by LVMH. But, you know, we had a very craft, independent feel to us very much a roll up your sleeves attitude and just get it done. And then we moved, o- I moved over to Diageo, which was very different entirely. And I kind of went from very small to, to the biggest. And that was a really interesting learning curve for me. It really was, it was a great move for me. But then three years later after that, I got the But well, What do you think it was a
1: good move? I knew you wanted to go over because it, it was a big company. I,
2: you. Like, you know what? I mean, Everything, obviously
1: it looks great on your resume.
2: We all have these pipeline dreams, right? I'm sure we we all do. And one day I'm sure I'll get there. But originally back in the day, I was like, right, I can work five years at a really big company such as Diageo. I can learn everything that I need to know about a company and then I can just go and set up my own distillery. And I'll have it all. I'll have everything.
1: (laughs) Hey, we all got to start somewhere. (laughs)
2: <laughs> For me, that idea of setting up my own distillery is still very much in the back of my mind, but it's like you know, been parked to one side as I've really been enjoying this recent journey. I didn't last five years; I lasted three there, and I then moved over to to Bacardi. And one of the reasons that I moved over is because it's become, as I've gone older, I've realised that it's not just about the brand that you look after. Because you, obviously you have to love the brands that you're representing, but also the values of the company as well. And with Bacardi, for me, it wasn't as as corporate as before. And also, I just really believed in the values that Bacardi upholds. You know, we say that we have the three F's. You've got to be fearless, you've got to have a founder's mentality, and you've got to have this family feel to you and everyone is family we call each other primos and primas which means family it's it's wonderful that's amazing yeah so it just felt like a really lovely fit and so I've been with Bacardi now as with their as their global single malts ambassador for four years and then recently moved over six months ago into this new role not just sort of looking after that advocacy of the single malts, but also the other whiskies within our portfolio, rums, the cures, gins. So it's a really great opportunity for me to stretch some of that skill set that I already had, but also use this as an opportunity to keep one leg in the spotlight, but take the rest of my body out and push other people in and really give other people that opportunity to step up and give back what i'd received throughout the whole of my career if that makes sense
1: no that makes perfect sense and Sarah, i'm definitely going to ask you the same question but i think i want to take a step back because you picked up two things <laughs> and i know i had it for a question later on but we're here so let's talk about it which was no i think it's really important because you mentioned something about company values and it, it is something that comes up on this show a lot it's more about making sure the the company is a good fit for you and that you believe in where they're going for it?
3: Well, I definitely wanted to wait until I felt like I had something to say, but for our setup, I feel incredibly lucky in the way that our setup is, is that we try and honor our founder's vision. And part of that vision was actually being incredibly inclusive because we work with a lot of like 700 small growers that grow grapes, they're farmers, essentially. And we definitely have like twice a year, we have massive meetings, we take in a lot of input, we share back everything that's happening quarterly out in all of the different markets. And I have a seat at the table within that marketing team and being able to be part of the collective that is trying to represent all of the different people that invest in us. Because every person that buys a bottle invests in us. So it's not just our consumers, it's not just the bartenders, it's the growers. And so being able to I feel incredibly lucky to be able to be part of that really inclusive mindset.
1: Yeah, I think that's a that's a really big deal. And it, it's not for everybody. Not everybody wants no. that seat at the table. Not everybody, mm-hmm. you know, they might want to be a little more external and kind of do their own thing. And and they work at agencies and they're they never see the brand people at all. They're just, they do their job and they have their own separate world and they're completely happy. So I think it all depends. And I guess this leads to, and, and I'm Zara. I'm definitely gonna ask you about your background, but I wanna get into this. We Both of, when I, yesterday I was talking to uh, both of you, and especially Georgie, we touched upon this about it is just as important to interview the company as it is for them to interview you. And I'd love to hear more about your philosophy on, on that.
2: I just think that's, that's really important to do. When you go through the interview process, obviously, it, often it's them asking you questions, which is great, but you've also got to get a feel that it is the right company. And it kind of comes back to what I was saying before. And Zara, that sounds like you've got such a lovely fit within that. I just loved how you said it. I know, really. <laughs> I know. But it, But it, it's the same sort of thing. So I think you know what I'm talking about as well. It, it's not just you should never work for a brand if you don't feel passionate about it, but the longer I've gone on, my, on in my career, I've realized you should also never work for a company unless you also believe in the same things that they believe in. If you hold the same values as them as you, especially because we work within the hospitality industry still, mm-hmm. that they actually prize the hospitality industry because we wouldn't be here without them, you know? And that everyone who's involved from marketeers, to bottlers, to our archivists, to blenders, that they all feel passionate about what we're all sort of creating together, and the fact that ultimately, at the end of the day, we're all custodians of these brands in different ways, just waiting to sort of pass it on to the next generation of people to come. So, I, I listened to a podcast the other day by, gosh, what's her name, Abby Abby Wambach, Wambach, Wambach. She used to be the captain of the U.S. soccer team, okay. and she said in her parting speech forget me I want you to forget me because I want the next team to be so much I want to have left this team in such a great place that you'll forget who I am because they're absolutely killing it and I just love that mentality and I was just like actually that applies to us as well and what we want to do right because we want to do the best for future generations and in a way we want the people that carry the brands for us that maybe take over our jobs one day to do even better than us you know, mm-hmm. to forget us. So I think, you know, I think if you're within the right company, that can happen.
1: No, and absolutely. The one, the one thing we have probably is an advantage in some ways. I mean, granted, Georgie, you're younger than Sarah and I, so we've both <laughs> discovered by how much, but to have the competence to do that. Most people just want the job. Like, Georgie, you, you mentioned to me, you used to meet brand bartender sometimes. Just, I just want a brand ambassador job, whatever, whatever it is, whatever company. So it does take a little bit of confidence to believe in yourself that another job's going to come along and, you know, to be able to kind of vet a company that hard. But you also learn from if you work for a company, you're not you always have to believe in the brand, but you're not sure about the company. Sometimes it's like if it's experience, especially if it's going to be a part time one, it might just be like, let me just get my foot wet. Let me just see my feet wet and just like kind of see what being this is all about uh, and have a plan like I know I'm going to exit this company and I know it's probably not fair to the company but sometimes you might just need that experience to learn.
2: I also think that a BA job isn't for everyone as well and I try and say this to a lot of people when they're like oh how do I become a brand ambassador because it's we're the most forward-facing jobs out there right so it's the, the obvious thing but when it comes to creating these spirits that people are pouring in their homes behind the bar, and Zara, I'm sure you know this as well, it's not just about the brand ambassador. You know, if you're good at design, can you go into a design company? If you've got a little like a, a thing about digital, there's a digital marketing that you could get into or marketing itself or sales or archives or do you have a science background? Do you want to get in that way? You know, so I think to what you said before, Elaine, it's always really good to dip your toe in and see mm-hmm. if sort of that job is right for you. But I think we always have to be aware that there's this expansive area within spirits so that you know being a BA isn't isn't everything in it, and it's not for everyone. And you can be a force for good for that brand and for the for the trade within other jobs.
1: No, absolutely. And and Sarah, I know you mentioned, you know, talking going back to betting, vetting the company, because for you. Kavase, you know, it was a brand, you have a great story about how you got introduced to the brand and, and the reason why you, you wanted to become a brand, ambassador as you mentioned before, that you wanted to have something to say. So I would love for you to expand, about, like, you know, when you, what do you mean by that? Like you wanted to have something to say and why Kavase was a good fit for
3: you. I truly believe in having a really big reason to get up in the morning. And if I'm going to be doing a job, especially because you think that being a brand ambassador, as Georgie was saying, is like this front facing (sighs) thing and it seems very glamorous and you're doing this traveling, but it is an intensely hard job an extremely lonely job to do it is you're constantly having a job that is constantly changing around you no day is the same and so you're always having to use every aspect of yourself to make sure you're able to function do the job and meet the goal but if you have a big reason for getting up in the morning then you're going to be able to do that with excitement and with joy and my big reason is um is making sure that there is the skill of critical thinking being applied within hospitality. This is a skill that is innate to bartenders, and this is something that we were talking about before, Elaine, of how you read a guest when they walk through the door. All of the different things that you take in from body language to tone of voice to the people that they've come in with, whether they're coming into the room quickly or slowly or searching for someone, These are all ways of breaking down what's happening in that situation and how to make sure that you're giving that person not only what they need, but in a manner that gives them extreme pleasure and gives them the same joy that you are having at that moment. And so to be able to slow that process down and break it down and apply it into different aspects of your life a skill that you already have really actually enriches your life to such a level that it gets you through into and helps you get past many obstacles that become your way. So it's a a big personal passion and I've literally created workbooks for it. I do one-to-one sessions on it. I do it for venues. It has really helped me in the education programming and approach. And I use it myself and the ability to kind of like take big problems and break them down into easily achievable goals. And that's something that I'm hoping is becomes a tool that every bartender, server, barback has within their tool belt.
1: Yeah. And I think as a brand ambassador, you need that tool very much so because you get big goals, you get, and then to be able to break it down into chunks. Like I sit down and I'm, I'm sure you guys have a, ladies have a similar, like, or some sort of plan, like how you achieve and to make sure you're, you're most productive. Like every Sunday for me, I look at all my big goals and when I have things going on and then I break them down to pieces over the course of the week. Cause you know, you always have the to-do list because there's no way you can ever get to the bottom of it. So You know, you have to break it into pieces over the course of the week so you could just know like, okay, I'm only going to, even if it's 30 minutes, I'm just going to work 30 minutes on that. At least you're making a step towards, you know, just breaking into those pieces. I just achieved that piece. That's it. I'm good for the day. Then I feel like I had satisfaction. I mean, most of everything I get done is between 6am and 11. Every day, like that's my time. And after that, anything else is a bonus. It's like, but for me, I work really well in the morning and that's when I do all my most productive and I break it down the night before. This is what I'm going to do. And if I achieve all that, I'm like, boom. And sometimes it's just little pieces. It's just like I wrote an outline or I just wrote like a paragraph or whatever it is. But it's helped me achieve so many more things and just keep taking steps towards the end goal. It's like just breaking into pieces so that you can get to the end eventually. But it's going to take time. And not everybody knows how to do that. They get very overwhelmed, and uh, which I think is critical thinking. I think it's a really important skill. And I, one day I hope you will give me the pleasure of sitting down with me and giving a one-on-one lesson because I can always use more. And you know, I think we talked, We're going to talk about this always self-improving and you know developments, and that is definitely one that I think everybody can keep improving on in their lifetime to keep achieving their goals. So. You chose, so Kerbasi, so I just want to actually, I do want to go back a little bit because, our your story is quite interesting of how you got into hospitality, and I'd love to hear, like, you know, your background, because it, it, I think it's it's quite endearing, and it, yeah, so tell us a little bit of your background, how you got into the hospitality industry.
3: So I have to start with my parents yes. for two reasons. One, they're amazing. Because Yes, they are incredible people. I want to meet them one day because they just Um, sound like the most interesting people in the world. (laughs) And two, because I have learned great life lessons from them. But the first reason why I have to start off with them is because, you know, I was born in a tiny village in Morocco. Both of my parents are farmers' kids. They grew up on farms. They really instilled the values of, you know, being, you know, what all of the things that you think come with being a farmer. (laughs) Like that salt of the earth, really being cheap. yeah. (laughs) really holding on to your money, (laughs) all of Frugal (laughs) is a
1: better word. There you go, frugal is a better
3: word. But more importantly, like that sense of adventure and that willingness to go out into the world. Um, My mother, as I said, was a gun runner during the end of the protectorate. They lived at the border of Algeria and Morocco. And so she was an integral part of helping, you know, the country gain liberation. After that, she moved to the United States no to speak the language and just like became an entrepreneur and owned businesses. She was a hairdresser and she also rented out spaces within her business for manicurists and other hairdressers. So I started off within hospitality by working in her hair salon. So she was able to keep an eye on me, but also I was, you know, serving tea and coffee and wine and champagne to her guests. And, you know, Really learned from a very early age, from nine on, what it means to, one, pay attention to what's happening around you, two, to make sure that the people that are there are having a good time, and then the value of a dollar, and I wanted to get paid at 13, and they said no, so I went and got myself a job at the Little (laughs) swap meet. And I ran the taco stand there and the ice cream stand. (laughs) And so (laughs) then it's always been jobs and hospitality. Obviously, it is the thing that I knew how to do. But also, (laughs) it is the thing that has really driven so much of my own personal development. I was a brutally shy child, somebody who's very much an introvert. My best friends were books. I've spent all of my time, I would stay up all night reading books. And so I really didn't have a good skill at connecting with other human beings and I'm I I to interrupt you
1: one second what did your mom think of because it is weird when you're a very outgoing parents and your kid is very shy like my daughter used to be really really shy uh-huh. and now she's not now i can't get her to shut up but she's an awesome kid or stop arguing with me so it, was it ever weird for your mom was she ever like how, how i wasn't I shy you at
3: see? home she's like
1: that's so funny just like we say hi to working. daniel He's tuning yeah. in. Thank you, Daniel, for tuning in.
3: One of the things that I really wanted to overcome was that shyness. And I had—I was a cashier. I worked in movie theaters. I've done so many different jobs in hospitality. And so I asked to become a waitress because I needed to force myself to connect with other human beings. And one of the biggest lessons I got from being a waitress and then a bartender was that there was no reason to, I was so shy because I thought people would judge me. And there was no reason to, because people were so busy worrying about what was happening in their own lives. (laughs) It wasn't about me. It had nothing to do with me. So I could actually live my life freely and enjoy all of the things that the world had to offer. And it was one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given. And so that's what Georgie was saying about wanting to give back to an industry that's given you so much is that, that being able to be released from what I felt like was a you know, that internal prison was such a great gift and I wanna be able to give back and make sure that I can help other people within our sector do as well as they want to do.
1: No, and I think that's a, that's a big thing. And and I'm I mean, Georgie, I don't know if you, I think we talked about this yesterday, which was, you know, worrying about people are gonna judge you. I definitely know it's something I, I suffer from still to this day. Like I, I'm still at my age, I can't believe I still worry if people like me or not, But I, but I do. And it means a lot to me. And I can't handle like controversy or people like not, you know, being positive about me. And I, I constantly think if you, if you don't call me back, I'm like, oh, I did something to piss that person off. And they don't like me, like, which is ridiculous. I'm At my age, I should be like, who cares? But I do. I, I, I care a lot. And but I think you, 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 you really touched on something about, you know, not letting your insecurities hold you down or worrying about what other people think to hold you back. Georgie, I, I know you probably experienced this working in the whiskey industry and, and what men might have thought of you as a woman in the industry. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, sure. Can I swear on this?
1: You can totally swear Fucking A. Okay. You, it's my style. You can get whatever the fuck you
2: want. <laughs> well, I was going to say that, oh, do you get the, le- the less fucks you give, you know? Yeah. And you, you you learn to not care less, but you learn to, you know you just learn and it's funny I think we we all feel this we all feel insecure at times we all feel you know vague imposter syndrome from time Mm -hmm. to time and I think COVID definitely hasn't helped with that our own mini mini series of conspiracy theories that go on if we send an email and then we're like oh my god are they going to think this are they going to think that like you know And that doesn't go anywhere at all. I'd say that definitely over the last year, podcasts and finding the right podcasts. Brene Brown is like wonderful. And I love everything that she says. But yeah,
1: I think (laughs) I'm going to check that one
2: out. Yeah, you should. Yeah. As you said, that's something that I don't feel as much now, but I definitely felt at the beginning. You know, Elaine, we talked about this yesterday. The whiskey industry today is very different to 10 years ago when I started out in it. And I don't want to lament too much on the past because I think it's important to have that forward vision of where we are now. But, mm-hmm. and I think it's such a great space for anyone to come into now, but it was it was hard breaking the back of it 10 years ago, you know, and I definitely came up with, I, I, I faced quite a few questions and queries and quandaries about like, oh, woman in the whiskey industry, oh, woman going for a global ambassador role or, or an ambassador role. And actually, that's why I really love the Scotchmore Whiskey Society and, you know, my my managers there and I'll always be indebt- indebted to them because they didn't see that. They saw talent and skill set and they didn't see gender. And I think, you know, it's funny because coming from behind a bar, I don't know about you both, but I never saw gender. I just saw a bar team. You know, I didn't see age. I just saw a bar team. And so that's always been my viewpoint going on. And. You know, when people ask what it's like to be a woman in the whiskey industry, it's like, well, I've never been a man, so I don't know any different. (laughs) You know, this is the way that this is the way that it's always been. And there's different ways that combat that you can combat it. And, you know, to begin with, honestly, the way I was able to squash any like misconceptions or any like oh what's she doing here you know is she in the right place is actually by going through education and just pushing myself and pushing myself to gain qualifications to say no i have i have a right to be here i deserve to be here i've worked to be here and look at where i am actually in comparison to the other people that you're hiring and look this is a fresh face and this is where whiskey is going and this is what we can do together you know so it always. What were some of the really.
1: educations that you did? What were some of the degrees? Because I know you have quite a few.
2: Yeah. So one of the big ones was through the Institute of Brewing and Distilling, the IBD. So I originally did their fundamentals course back in 2011. Yeah. And then in 2012 to 2013, over two years, I did my diploma in distilling. So it's supposed to be three years I did it in two and I actually ended up with the highest mark in the world globally when I finished wow
1: Um, congratulations
2: that's amazing biochemistry and chemical engineering behind distilling kind of intended for people that then want to start distilling but it was a really great fit in for me and it enabled me to really sort of develop my passion and learn as much as I could about the whiskey industry I think I'm an all-in sort of person and so it really helped me with that and I think now having had that experience you know it's something that I try and Encourage others to do as well. Is, is if you're into a category, what are you doing? How are you learning? Is your nose just in books? Brilliant. But what distilleries are you visiting? Are there any courses that you can do to further your career and your passion for it? So I'm a big advocate of that now.
1: No, absolutely. And Zara, I know you've had some great education, of course. Well, actually, I want to be but, but a woman in the industry and, and also, and before we go into education, but also being a woman of color in the industry. So, you know, I, has that been a challenge? Like, how, how do you see the industry changing in that in that way? Because I know that a lot of things have happened in the last couple of years. Well, uh, year.
3: Having been in the industry for an extremely long time, I never saw a challenge. I do know that the challenges are there just because in my everyday life, I'd literally been spit on. I had things thrown at me. It is not an easy life for anyone, but being a person of color, it is a little bit tougher. And what I have found is that I have always conserved my energy for things that I can aim myself towards and achieve. And the best thing that I have ever done is one, create really strong networks of people that I really respect and admire, ask questions of them when I need support. Incredible people in my life that have shared their support have been people like Dan Wilkes and Charlie Hamburger, I've created cocktails in London, Angus Winchester, Claire Warner, Vincenzo and all, and then creating your own network. Like when we were trying to kind of develop what was happening in cocktails in Los Angeles, we all worked incredibly hard together to make sure that we were sharing as much information, nobody held anything back. We all supported each other and cheered each other on for all of the big things and for little things too, just like, you know, having a great shift, you know, coming out and meeting with each other and like having download times with one another. And these are things that if I could, you know, share the best things to do is to conserve your energy Use it for what it is that you want to achieve because you're always going to come across obstacles, whether you're going around an obstacle, under it or over it, which are the easiest ways or the tough way when you have to go through it. This is something that you are going to always know that you have the ability to achieve against all odds, you know, and it's a powerful thing to do and create a really strong network and rely on each other and be each other's cheerleaders because the louder you're cheering for each other, the more people will hear you.
1: Yeah, I, I think the network thing it, it, it is really important to have people you can rely on and reach out to. I, I've always found it hard for me, like for a mentor. Like I always feel like I, I I have mentors. There are definitely people I know I can reach out to. I've always been a little shy, but to me, to be honest with you, I'm always shy of asking somebody for help. It's it's very hard for me. Like it is like to reach out to somebody and say, "Hey, I, I need your help." I've only I've gotten better at it as I've been older because more people call me for ask for my help. So, and I love being a mentor and I love giving my advice. And then I go, well, if I feel this way, then maybe the people I'm calling that I need help from might feel this way too. And it took me a long time to get over that. So I think that's great. Like having that strong network of people that you can rely on, ask for information. And I know, Zara, since we were talking about education before, I know you are very passionate. I know right now you're going for your wine license, but you also, when it comes to cognac, was there anything, what was your education when it came to learning everything there was about cognac?
3: One, personal passion. Um, okay. And yeah. two, David Girard of k in Southern California was incredibly generous with me and with his time. He is not just somebody who is passionate about spirits, but really has, has, done all of this incredible hard work on really getting to know spirits on every level. And he sat down with me for three hours of his own personal time and let me ask him all of the hard questions that I felt I'd never gotten answers to about the category. And then also supplied lots of other things that I probably should look into and to read up on and to ask more questions about. And so our for our master blender and our master distiller. So every time I would go, I would have three pages of questions that I would have for them. And I have to say that they were just like so open and shared every tiny bit of information and said, yes, yeah, share it out into the world. And just were incredible at, about indenturing the trust, not just within me, but to me be that channel to share that out with our larger people.
1: Uh, which, which says a lot about them, you know, the fact that they took the time and also yourself to actually sit down, take the time to gather the questions. I think that's important. And knowing what questions to ask, sometimes it's hard. It's like, you know, that's when you have to have that baseline of information. I mean, Georgie and I were talking about yesterday, we both took the WSET level three. I don't know if you've had the pleasure of taking it because it's hard. It's, it's it's really hard. People have asked me, you know, people commented like, Lane, do you think I should take this? I said, well, yes. If being an expert within a a spirit category is important to you, I said, because it gives you the fundamentals. I said, after 20 years, I actually finally understand how you know distilling actually works. I was like, you know, distillers be like, oh, the reflux. And I'd be like, what the fuck's the reflux? I didn't know. Like I was like, sure, and why the lean mattered and like all that stuff. Like, I'd hear it. I understood it. And so I knew it had, it mattered, but I didn't really understand the the chemistry behind or the science behind it, you know, and how it actually worked until I took to WSET level three. And that was like, uh, okay, now I can, I can have that conversation. So for anybody who is listening, you know, that is definitely a worthwhile course to take. And Sarah, I know you are taking also the wine course. Are you doing wine right now?
3: I'm in the midst of my level two wine education because you have to know wine if you're going to be talking about cognac and the thousands of years of history that come with it. Yeah, that
1: that that is well, wine is hard. I mean, I, I thought beer was hard, and I went into the beer industry. I was like, wow, beer is really hard. It's very complicated. Well, I think wine is even more complex. This is so much. Men- there's just so much of it. It's so many. I mean, granted, yeah. So good for you. <laughs> I'm uh,
3: excited.
1: I, 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 Philip always says to me, he said, I don't want to know anything, you know, he knows a fair amount about wine, but he says he doesn't want to learn anything else. He said, because it's always nice. That way, when we go into a bar or restaurant, he can be innocent and just ask all the dumb questions. And he's like, it's just something I don't, I don't know anything about. And I'm always just, it, it could be something new every time where like spirits were constantly analyzing the spiritless or you know whatever and Sophie's like nope I'm just gonna let it be I'm just gonna learn about wine every time I go into a restaurant and, and that person can educate me and I'll be really happy to hear all of it so uh, which is which is interesting I just can't put any more things in my head I'm like I'm good <laughs> <laughs> I'm cool. Uh, it's full there's only so much information that can go in there and yeah so i'm um all right so we talked about uh, women in whiskey you talked about uh, color women oh so Zara, i did want to ask you so and i wanted to know georgie your kind of experience working for three different companies you said something really interesting to me today yesterday about when you started working for crevasier your first three months on the job was quite challenging and interesting because you know, you said there's something you miss, you know, from being behind a bar is an adrenaline rush that you don't get when you're working at corporate. So explain a little bit more about that.
3: Yes. Much like Georgie, I went directly from being behind the bar to being a national ambassador for the United States. And I found that something very, very, very strange was happening to me and I couldn't put my finger on it. I'd never felt that way before. And I figured out that I was suffering from adrenaline withdrawal and i really literally looked it up and every single symptom was there one of the things that people within the hospitality whether you're a server or a barback or a bartender you go through intense rushes of adrenaline when you're in the weeds like if you are like when you get that moment of being in flow you know that that epinephrine is really going through your body and when you get withdrawals from that especially when you get completely cut off from it You have intense symptoms, like you have short-term depression that are extremely intense bursts of depression. Your body starts tingling and itching. You don't feel comfortable within your own body. You can't sleep. You're extremely restless. You can't focus clearly on any one thing. So trying to figure that out, I was like, what the heck is going on? I have never experienced this in my life. And once I figured that out, I was like, okay, I need to really (laughs) make a plan and figure out how to deal with this because at first i thought well well maybe i'll just you know find ways to get that adrenaline but that isn't going to work if you want long term success within the you know your chosen path and so i had to really figure out ways of structuring my day, making sure that I had plans in place to kind of deal with what was happening kind of stuff. But it was very intense. And I suggest to anybody who is changing from one position to another like that, and losing that hit of adrenaline that people in hospitality go through, really figure out what the best way to approach that is, because it will be really intense.
1: Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Yeah. No, I think it is also, I, I agree with you, Eric. I think it's such an interesting, I, I something I've never heard before. You're the first person that's ever explained that before, Georgie. Did you, t- does that sound anything familiar? Did you go through that as well?
2: I think, I mean, it was such a long time ago, but probably, yes. Looking back, I'm just, uh, I've never thought about it like that. It's really refreshing to hear actually. And so valid. I definitely had, many other struggles I seem to remember going from behind the bar into a corporate world sort of like you know sitting down more than you're used to being behind a computer I'm even going through challenges now you can consistently go through challenges as your career develops and your the audience that you're speaking to changes as well and and sorry I feel like we're the same that Yes, we have external audiences that we speak to, but also internal audiences as well, right? And how do you change up your lexicon and language depending on who that you're speaking to and how do you get your points across and how you present and how you present for those different audiences as well. So that's definitely something that, you know, I feel that not only are those first three months challenging, but consistently through your career as you grow, you you get thrown these different challenges that you have yeah. to overcome and I think actually uh, one thing that I'm not very good at but you have to do is just be kind to yourself and recognize that it's happening and kind of like give yourself a break and realizing that you're the, doing the best that you can do in those circumstances.
1: I think giving yourself a break is, is, is a big one like realizing it's okay it's okay to be like unsure you know, you're not the only one that's ever felt unsure. It's it's okay to ask somebody for help, you know, just understanding that. And Zara, you actually said that about your first three months, the one thing you had to learn to do you and you did was ask for help. Yes. Could you expand on that?
3: It's definitely still a struggle to this day, but I'm definitely very cognizant of making sure that if I reach a point where I have like gotten stuck, I definitely reach out to someone and say, okay, this is where I am. This is where I would like to be. And this is where the biggest problems or obstacles that I'm coming across in getting me from that. And just getting somebody else's point of view is just – it feels like the pressure has been lifted. So for some reason, like I'm able to go, oh, okay, now all the connections are coming. That's part of like having a really great network as well, is that you don't feel as isolated when that happens as well. So, you know, having, being part of a team is, I think it's something that we learn as bartenders, you know, being part of a team is one of the great strengths that you can kind of draw out. And it's hard when you're an investor and it feels like you're so isolated and alone out there feel like you're still part of the team. So definitely make sure you reach out and ensure that you are part of that team.
1: Yeah, I think that's I think it's such a great point because it is, you do find when you work something out with other people, it suddenly, it, it just dawns on you. It just clicks. It's like, oh, and we're just saying it out loud. Like I find like sometimes I'm struggling with something in my head and then just saying it out loud to another person, the answer just kind of pops in yeah. because I feel like I've, I've, I've worked it out. As the words are coming out of my mouth, which is kind of interesting. But as a brand ambassador, you can't be kind of alone, right? You can be in your own little world, traveling, being in bars. It can be quite lonely and asking it, and especially in the first couple of months, you're in your honeymoon period. Ask as many questions as you possibly can because nobody should expect you, and they generally don't, that you're going to be an expert right away. No matter, even if you've been a brand ambassador before, every company is different. And after doing so many of these episodes, I realized everybody's role is completely different. Everybody's corporate structure is so different. So there's no reason to believe that you should be an expert the day you walk in the door, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be awkward at first. So you just have to kind of work your way through and ask a lot of questions, hope you get a lot of guidance. Find that person that's going to be your go-to, like a former brand ambassador, you know, or somebody who works there now at the, at the company. I think that is a big thing. And actually, Georgie, sorry, I want to go back because I realized the one point we didn't hit upon when vetting a company, we talked about this yesterday, before you take that job of vetting the company and the way you can do it. So you had some great insights into that, like how you you can do that before you jump in. So
2: my suggestions are not only doing your own research of sort of, you know, looking online and reading up about the company and the brands and not only speaking to the people that work there at the moment, but the people that used to work there as well that have moved on, because I think they'll give you a really good viewpoint of what it's like and people you can trust too, I think is really important. At the end of the day, though, you've kind of got to follow your gut and With all of these, Elaine, you said before, you know, I've taken some quick moves, you know, eight, nine years, three different companies, but it never never felt like that to me. I think because being behind a bar, I, I started in Edinburgh and I'd be like a year in a bar and then I'd move six months to another bar to get another, you know, slice of experience and then go somewhere else. And you kind of, you know, I feel like when you're in bars, potentially, especially when you're younger, you jump around a little bit more, you know, trying to pick up different experience pools. And so as I've gone down through my career, the time I've spent in companies gets longer and longer as, as you learn more and you become more confident in yourself and kind of like what you're looking for and what you can develop. And I think, you know, in line with that as well. And And I think this is also something that you can ask people when you're vetting a company is, we all know there's no carved career path, right? So it's finding out about whether within that company, there's the opportunity to be able to carve your own career path. Mm -hmm. Is there a job track that you can imagine going through? Or have you spoken to people within that company who've been able to create their own jobs and work with the company to find the best use of their talent? And rather than trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, you know, making sort of a whole that's perfect for you and for the company so that all of your goals combine. And I think that's really important.
1: That is that is that is a really, really valid point, because finding your, it was a, in the beginning, you know, I've been doing I was brand ambassador in 2005 and, and there weren't a lot of brand ambassadors. You know, we were kind of brand ambassador job was new. And nobody knew what to do with a brand ambassador. Like, what do you do after you've been a brand ambassador for a long time? Like, what is the next step in, in your career? And and up to that point, I was always able to carve my own career and and, and change jobs. It was, being a brand ambassador working in the liquor industry was my third or fourth position within the company. You know, I worked on the marketing side before jumping into the field side. And there was no career path. They didn't know what to do. They're like, well, we can make them a senior brand ambassador. And then like that, that was it. Like that was, that was the end. It was like, okay, anything after that? No. So I think now it's changed a lot where there are new roles where you are doing more of a marketing brand, obviously role. So you're, which I think is great. It's such a great synergy and it makes so much sense since you've been in the field, combining those, you understand what a bartender thinks, you understand what the brand ambassador role is, you understand, you know, what the team goals are. You can put them all together. It makes so much sense. It didn't exist back then. It wasn't a way people thought, at least not in a company like Diageo. So it's it's good to see that other companies are thinking differently, and those roles definitely exist. And I think it's so important, yeah, finding out, is there a path for me? Will you provide education for me so that I can achieve, get to the next level? Yeah,
2: It's really and, important. And just on what you were saying before, Zara, about I think, you know, we all feel like we've all definitely felt loneliness when we've been traveling. It is, but you don't see that other side because you always see that front-facing element, right? And you never see the behind the scenes because we always have a smile on our face and we're not going to give it away, right? (laughs) But I think what this job is, especially over the last sort of decade or so, what it's made me realize is that not only do you need to find your team within your company, but it's made me realize how friendly and inclusive and welcoming People in hospitality are full stop, you know, from traveling around. I've just met people who I've met them one night and then they've been like, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Cool. You've got no plans. Let's go for a hike. Let's go for a drink. And you're like, we've only just met. And they're like, no, but, you know, you're in our city. We want to show you a really good time. We want to show you. We know you like hiking. Let's go for a hike or whatever. Absolutely. And that's made me then stay in touch with them. Want to go Mm -hmm. back to that city. And I've cherished all of those moments and all of those people I've met that have made me feel so welcome when I've been away and in that sort of fleeting instance of being away from home it has felt like a home away from home and so it's kind of it makes you think that in those sort of those moments of loneliness you're like yeah okay this is I'm alone got FOMO I know what my friends are doing back home but look at where I am and look at what what I can do here and look at the opportunity that I'm being given to explore and to make new friends. And I think that's just, that's so powerful and, and so wonderful.
1: Mm-hmm. I would, I would agree. I am mean, I'm, so, I'm assuming you've had very similar, I think it's one of my favorite things, like being able to Facebook and be like, I'm arriving in Chicago or wherever I am, like, who's around? And then you get all these people like reaching out to you and you're like, wow, like this is great. Like there's so many more people. I don't need to be alone. There are people that I can connect to.
3: Definitely. There are definitely people that I want to see, but I also want to keep, you know, having those moments of meeting new people as well. And maybe being able to introduce those new people with the people that I've been able to see and share like the best of each of them, because one of the great things that I think comes out of it is that you never know who you're gonna introduce to somebody else and what is going to come out of that introduction and some really incredible events have come out of it you know just sharing an idea because I feel like we're all kind of adventurers and therefore we have all of these different ideas that we would love to see happen but we can't do all of them and so when you come across somebody who like really has all of those incredible skills and abilities you're like oh you know what this is an idea I think that would really fit you really well (laughs) and so to see those different things kind of come out and show themselves in the world and to continue to support those people in their growth is always really, really exciting.
1: No, I I do think that's important. And I want to continue just talking about traveling because we talked about this yesterday a bit, Georgie, about some life lessons you have learned on the road because, you know, you used to travel 80% of the time and which can be quite exhausting. So what are some best practices you have to stay sane, stay healthy?
2: I used to always keep the first hour to myself of the day and prioritize exercise always, always. And that first hour of switching off, of exercising, of like running with a podcast or with some beats or being in the gym or I love swimming. So finding like a local swimming pool just gives you an opportunity to have that hour for you. So that then the rest of the day you can be everyone else's. I'm very much an extroverted introvert and I need to recharge my batteries to be able to be the best version of myself. And to recharge them, I need to be by myself and I need to have that me time. So that's that's really powerful. I think as I've gone on as well, I definitely didn't know this word at the beginning, but learning the word no is really really important and also making sure that when I when I'm traveling there's there's an agenda so if you're going if you're jumping on a plane you're going to a new city to a new country that you're not just going there for one thing so are you going there to do you know try to tick as many boxes as possible so it's whether it's like internal trainings bartender trainings like Doing things with like whiskey consumers, whether it's working with the off trade, doing some media interviews, making sure that I wasn't just going there for one thing, but multiple elements of that was always really important as well. And then always remembering that no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, you're always the supporting actor to the brand. You should never become bigger than that. And in line with that, whenever you're going to a market and there's a local brand ambassador, always remembering that actually in a way you're a supporting actor to that brand ambassador as well and you want to leave that market in a better place than when you got there so that they can continue carrying on their their job and that you don't leave a hole you know so those are some things that were really important for me throughout my career.
1: No, I think that's a bit, I think that's a bit, I think I told you yesterday, uh, Nicola from the Distillery, you know, he talked about that a lot because as as the global person, you are a bit of the star. People are expecting you to come in and it is, it is. you know, as you get older, you realize it's okay. You don't need to be the star. You you can, you know, you're you're going to be fine. Your job is to help the person that you're there to work with. And both you ladies mentioned this, like your job is to support all the brand ambassadors to help them excel and, and allow them to shine. You've already shined no nobody's forgetting that you're there and it takes a little bit of being older and feeling and a little bit more of confidence to allow that to happen because in the beginning obviously you're you're trying to build your career you're trying to you know make a name for yourself so to get that confidence i think that's really an important thing and, and, and it's okay you don't always have to be the star of the show it definitely takes age and wisdom to get to that point and you're wise beyond your years georgie bell
2: The the other thing I'd say is actually really really important too is if you have the opportunity to is take a day off in the city that you're traveling in. Used to, you know, whenever I'd fly to Asia, if I could, I'd take a week off. You've got a return flight anyway, but just have it back a week later and take a holiday Mm -hmm. and use that as an opportunity to explore your surroundings and have some fun with it. You know, at the end of the day, we're not we're not selling staplers. I mean, it might be a great thing to sell staplers. I'm not saying it isn't, but we're not selling staplers. You know, we are in an incredible industry and, you know, have, having some fun with it, I think is the most important thing.
1: I think so as well. That, do you ever do that? Do you ever take off? Do you ever take a day off like in the city and to spend some time there?
3: I definitely always buffer in a a little chunk of time so I can at least do one thing that makes me feel connected to the city itself, partly for personal pleasure, but partly for understanding what is valued in the city. It's really important to understand what the needs of that particular city is and what the needs of those bartenders are because just like every person has their own unique perspective, every city has its own voice and making sure you take time to hear what that is. So when the people that you're working with are trying to kind of help your brand shine there, you're doing it in an authentic way and you're doing it in a way that makes sense for what that market is.
1: Yeah, that, that, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'd always plan in like a day of just going out with the bartenders that were there locally. So without the distributor sales rep, without the marketing team, so everybody could just relax and we would go out like, you know, I'm like, Hey, I'm gonna take a bunch of bartenders and that's where I would see some of the cooler bars in the city. And then, but on your note, Georgie, yeah, if I was in a foreign country and it was very cool, I was definitely taking, you know, when I went to Zacapa and went to Guatemala, oh yeah, I took, I took a good five days. And went and explored the Mayan temples and, you know, and that was an incredible experience. When I was in Mexico, I would spend an extra couple of days to visit other distilleries outside of Don Julio. But yeah, I, I, I highly recommend it because it is one of the perks of the job and and you'll be a happier person for it.
2: Yeah, I mean, as I said, not all of us have that opportunity to be able to to do that. But Sarah, to your point, even if it's the chance to get a good coffee from a cool coffee shop. You know, even as small as that, you know, if you're in a city for two days, you're in a rush, you've got a packed schedule, walking from where you are to one place to the next, picking up a cool coffee, it just makes you think, right, I'm here, I'm doing something different. I'm not just constantly working. And then, you know, I love what you said about, you know, connecting to the city and and understanding what they need. It also means that when you're doing trainings and tastings, you can make it relatable too. Last night I was in X Bar, I like I tried this drink, I really loved it, I thought it was really awesome. Or, you know, I, I was in a I once did this tasting in China where we were making highballs and I was like, right, let's go to the 7-Eleven. Let's buy all of these cool different like chilled teas and mixers and stuff. We'll bring it to the session and we'll say, right, let's just try and make these like really cool combinations with what you can get usually in the shops. And it, and it was awesome. So it's like making much more relatable. And I felt that when you do tastings, people love that when you can be like, do you know what? I had a great drink in this bar last night. Mm-hmm. And people were like, that's cool. She knows. Yeah. You, you know, connect you know, with my city. About. Yeah.
1: Yeah. People do like it when you when you, you have a personal reference to their city. And the one trick I definitely have learned because it's a, this is something admit. I, I get very nervous when I go to a new, if I go to a different country, when I work for Anheuser-Busch, I used to travel the, the world for them. And I'd be in Brazil and Argentina and Colombia, and, and Korea and China. And when I get very intimidated when I'm in a country, I don't speak the language, especially when you're in a country like being in Brazil, which is amazing. Love Brazil so much, but it also has a, you know, a higher crime rate. So I get really nervous. I'd be a girl up on my own. And if, and beer people don't go out with you, just so you know, like we work ever changing industries, they do not hang out with you. It's just not in their culture. But I met a lot of people there that did, but I would always take a tour. I would take a self, I would hire a private tour guide to take me around for the first day. So that would get me out of my hotel because I will be, I will stay in my hotel until like I have the business person. Cause even though I want to go out, I would be too nervous to leave the hotel on my own, which is crazy, but it's true. So I started learning to hire a tour guide would meet me like the minute I got in like I would put all my stuff away whatever and the tour guy would meet me and then take me on the city and we would do a walking tour and that's how I learned how to like get over my shyness of the city especially and, and not be so intimidated so which some people make they're like really you I was like I get really nervous I do I get really shy when I get to a new city and I don't know the culture
3: For me, one of the great things about being able to travel, especially to different cities, is that every city provides you with anonymity. You know no one. You can be whoever you want to be. And when you go for this walk, you know, you have these power strides and you could be anyone in those moments. And being able to, like, have those kind of tiny adventures within yourself or like really feeds you creativity. Yes, it's very liberating. And it and it also, again, like it releases the pressure of the everyday from you.
1: Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I was going to say, I know we're getting to our time. We've been on for a while and it's been fantastic. I do want to talk about, so because you two have both been doing some really incredible programming within your within your jobs, which I think are very, very cool. And I know you're very proud of them. So Zara, I know you've been working on an initiative this year with the Urban Nation. Is that my saying that
3: correctly? No. The National Urban League, where our our company has really kind of doubled down on the faith that has been invested in us within the you know black entrepreneurs who have had a definitively unique struggle during COVID-19 and making sure that we're investing for years to come because it's going to take a long time for some of these businesses to recover. And for the next five years, we have invested a million dollars in grants and in donations and in making sure that we're also, again, as I said, really believe in the power of the network and making sure that we're getting people with expertise to help lead conversations for those entrepreneurs to make sure that they're being able to feel like they're being supported in every possible way. Because sometimes just giving money doesn't help. Sometimes you need to like really create a space where there can be free dialogue.
1: That's very cool. And I know you're doing, and Bacardi's doing a lot of things with bartenders. And I also want to hear about the bee thing because I think that the honey is, is fantastic.
2: yeah so Bacardi as you said throughout this last year has been investing a lot in bartenders and I remember at the beginning you know it was like right who needs a meal we'll buy you some meals we'll put money behind a restaurant just go in there's no judgment go and go and take a meal and it's continuing on which has been absolutely wonderful to see that support and different brands within Bacardi coming forward with their own unique way of supporting trade and that's still going on today so that's Lovely to be a part of. Yeah, one of the brand programmings that I worked on was called Aberfeldy Barrels and Bees. So Aberfeldy is a Highland whiskey within our portfolio. And it just so happens that it's got this beautiful honeyed richness to it. And so I took that idea of the honey and the honeyed richness and thought, hmm, Urban beekeeping is a big thing at the moment. There's a b- real decline at the moment, not just in pollinators, but also in food for the pollinators as well, i.e. pollen, and a real understanding about actually honey and mixed drinks and the possibility that it gives. So we created what we call Barrels and Bees, which is our global advocacy program where we partner up bartenders and beekeepers. We look at different ways of mixing honey and cocktails and how honey is so different the spectrum of honey and its flavors is is it's wider than whiskey it's absolutely beguiling you know and so it's very much getting that message across but then also looking at the ways in which we can give back and so last summer we did this a gardening give back project where we We uh, encourage bartenders to start planting and start sort of, you know, growing gardens to attract pollinators. But then also with ingredients that they could then use behind the bar as well, which was wonderful. And it's just it's been such a beautiful, fruitful program that, you know, I created back in like 2017 end of. And it's just grown and grown. And we have some incredibly talented ambassadors, especially in North America, who have taken it on with gusto. And the ideas in which they're sort of, you know, they're taking this mother program and they're they're sort of twisting it out in so many different ways. It's such a joy to see. And it's it's really lovely for me and and the rest of our team to be able to go right. Drew in San Francisco is doing this with it. Why doesn't Georgie Mann in Australia try that as well? You know, and connecting those dots. it's, It's been a real joy.
1: The fact it's been going on for three years is also pretty incredible. It says says a lot about the, a lot about the program.
2: Yeah. Uh, Good. Sorry. Sorry.
1: No, no. I was going to say, and and Zara, have you had you know opportunity to do any like you know? Do we didn't have a chance to talk about this yesterday, so I didn't know if there was any consumer or trade program that you have created that you that's been going on. All this
3: time. A lot of the work that we do is really about elevating the voices within each local market and making sure that leaders within that community really have a platform to speak and making sure that we support within that platform. So loads of events of supporting our local team members and the events that they want to do. Like there were what we called honor your code events, and these were really about going to like say, okay, we're going to be supporting the state of black food. This is an event that you know, nationally within the United States was bringing in leaders within the African-American community of chefs and making sure that they're able to connect and communicate with one another and show the value of what healthy eating is all about. And that culinary experience or women in music in Miami, where we're really focusing on Latin music and its relevance, not just globally, but how valuable women's voices are within that. And just each because each city was so different, honoring the code of the city and the leaders within that city was really important. And I, I still feel that that is one of the greatest things that we've done. Again, we're about to launch a personal development uh, education program, so I want to kind of hold tight to that until we're really able to share how that's going to work, because again, it really has to be relevant to each of our ambassadors and how they want to approach it as well.
1: That, that sounds fantastic. I'm excited. We'll have to have another interview so we can hear, <laughs> hear more about that. So ladies, we're at the end of our time, but this has been fantastic. I really, it's been so lovely catching up with the both of you. You've inspired me to do even, uh, yeah, just inspired me. That's all I have to say. It's just like, yeah, it's just like, wow. So so many incredible things that are happening within this industry and it's great to see women just kind of leading the way. And, and so also the happy to see you both doing jobs you really, really love. So you definitely, you definitely deserve it. And uh, I look forward to hopefully seeing both of you in person Maybe this summer, I don't know. There's always a, there's always a possibility <laughs> that that could happen, and and that would be lovely at a bar show. Maybe Berlin, you know, bar comment will happen. Who knows? But I definitely know it's happening here in Brooklyn. What is happening? So we, we never know. But yeah, until then, I just want to say it's been great, and thank you again, and uh, stay safe, and uh, we will hopefully chat soon.
2: Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to meet you, Georgie. Yeah. I can't wait to actually meet you in person. I'm like, I want to have a drink with you right now. I know. Isn't
1: she amazing? I know you are. And all of you who have tuned in, thank you so much for, for tuning in. And as always, if you miss any part of the show, you can find it on the website, Celebrating the Brand Ambassador on YouTube. So, all right. Bye, ladies. Have thank a great you. Wednesday. Thank you Bye. so much. Bye.
0: Thank you for tuning in. Again, this is your host, Elaine Duff. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Celebrating the Brand Ambassador. If you did, please do me a solid. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, leave an excellent review, and share on your social media. Also, follow me at Duff on the Rock to so tune in to the live version of these shows every other week on Facebook and say hi or get a question answered by one of our guests. Lastly, if you want to learn more about my online Brand Ambassador Academy or to sign up for one-on-one coaching, head to my website, duffontherocks.com or beverageba.com. Until next time, this girl is out and an ice cold martini is calling my name. Cheers, everyone.